0: Uh, hello, everybody, welcome to the September 27 uh, QPSC. Uh, uh, prior to going into close, we'll open up with roll call, please. Um,
1: Trustee Banerjee, here. Trustee Bouquet, here. Trustee Jarland is not here, Trustee Hernandez is not here, and Trustee Jensen, here. We do have a quorum.
0: We have a quorum. Thank you, with that, we will move into closed session. Item A, consideration conf- confidential medical staff credentialing reports and conference with legal counsel, uh, so nice. with that. We go into close. We're
2: live.
0: Yeah. Hello, everybody. Again, welcome to the September twenty-seven QPSC. We are in open session. Um, uh, just to reflect, Trustee uh, Charland uh, is uh, has arrived. Um, uh, welcome, everybody. We will move uh, right into our report. Where as of right now, still on time, we will move into uh, Item B, the consent agenda. Uh, can I have a motion to approve the consent agenda? I'll second. Okay, Okay. I'll open up for dialogue. Item B1, any commentary on the approval of the minutes? No. Uh, I agree, minutes looked fine, no edits. Uh, Item uh, B2, approval of policies and procedures. You'll note that there are three of them.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. No comments.
0: I, I guess my, my comment, uh, uh, Dr. Hussein, this is always kind of a work-in-project, the uh, uh, work-in-process. The uh, summary document, uh, which is a very nice summary document, um, uh, uh, I think we should maybe get a little bit of clarity on the summary document as to which uh, medical center or system that, that this applies to. For example, um, the first one is a flow land policy. Um, it's on page 17 of our packet for our board. It says it's a Highland campus policy on the actual document on page 17 of the of the packet. But on page 25, both the Highland Hospital and the San Leandro Hospital approved. MECs approved it. So is it a Highland? Is it a
4: San Leandro? Or is it a system? Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
4: I concur with. the the table or or the introductory um, part of the policy. But in philosophy, um, the idea is that to try to streamline the process and not have pockets of potentially conflicting policy, it should be reviewed as a system. So even if that service is not available or provided at one of the campuses, um, it should be a system policy. Okay.
0: Uh, I, I think your board is in agreement that we're, as we're trying okay. to move towards yes. systemally, policies shouldn't be so different from yes. medical center. So maybe a, a re, how we reflect that fully understanding is a journey to I, I know it's good okay. stuff. Um, uh,
4: and, and, and it's also a journey for um, the hundreds of different authors who write these policies. And. You're right, I try my best to review all of these before yeah. they come here, and you're still better at catching these. Well, I don't know if I'm better, but no, that's why I don't sleep. Uh, uh,
0: the pre-auth policy, the number two for out-of-network patient services, that says AHS system, so that was sort of nice on that. Yeah. Maybe it didn't reflect it on the executive summary, and you see uh, uh, trustees it was approved by all MECs, so that's sort of probably how it should flow. Yeah. Uh, item three was the latent TB infection policy. It says for ambulatory wellness, uh, so if you look at the mm-hmm. policy flow, Highland Hospital and San Leandro MECs approved it, but Alameda Hospital did not. And my question is, don't we have a clinic in Alameda? What's that?
5: The care yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the primary care clinic at Alameda Hospital uh, is not under the... Yeah. Alameda mm-hmm.
0: Hospital. Mm-hmm. Hospital. Mm-hmm. That's
5: mm-hmm. under the purview of...
0: Okay. Okay. I was just wondering why two of the three were MEC approval. So again, uh, I, I know this is a work in, 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 in process, so we'll, we'll consider that. As an aside, Tanvir and maybe more importantly Rana, thank you for including the policy workflow. Yes. Uh, it, it is a, it's a great guide for us to see how we kind of walk through this difficult, uh, sometimes labyrinthine pathway to get to policies and procedures. So, uh, you know, I I guess my my personal impression is we're definitely making some good progress on how policies and procedures are flowing.
4: And we are Uh, trying to, speaking about IT, we have upgraded our policy tech systems, and we hope that all of these things that are still reliant on human behavior to annotate will become (laughs) automated. So we are optimistic about that change. And, and
0: my favorite question for Dr. Hussein is this, I'll repeat it again, about how many policies and procedures do we have in our system? Oh, 6,000. Okay, so just for everyone to that. So the, the, this is uh, Herculean work. Okay, so with that, uh, I believe uh, that's item B2. Any other firm, further commentary from the trustees? With that, all in favor of approving the consent agenda? Aye. Aye. Opposed, abstention. I, item B2 carries, um, and we that moves us into wow. We got five minutes right there. Um, item. I, it's all about time management, but I'm not good at. It. So so we'll, on the table. We'll, we'll 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 move to item uh, uh, C2, the QPSC chair report. Um, at, as the trustees and and the audience is probably starting to appreciate, I'm. Uh, I, I'm a fan of uh, journal clubs, so, so uh, the, the journal article that we have included today uh, comes from the Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine. Uh, it's a high impact factor journal. The impact factor is 20. That places it about number five out of 150 uh, medicine journals. Uh, the editor uh, uh, of, of the journal uh, actually comes from UCSF. Um, so uh, I, I, I think this is a reliable uh, sourcing for this kind of dialogue. And of course, I want to open this kind of dialogue on this article uh, to everyone, but uh, a little bit of journal clubbing. So uh, on page 59 of the packet is, is uh, the abstract for the document. And for those of us who aren't uh, used to reading the medical literature, I'd like to walk us through that, if okay. So I'm, I'm going to first read the importance of this uh, article, and once again, I'll title it The Association Between Physician Burnout and Patient Safety, Professionalism, and Patient Satisfaction. So uh, the, the abstract opens up with importance. Again, this is page 59 of the packet. Physician burnout has taken the form of an epidemic that may affect core domains of healthcare delivery, including patient safety, quality of care, and patient satisfaction. However, this evidence has not been systematically quantified. So the objective of this study uh, by these investigators was to examine whether physician burnout is indeed associated with an increased risk of patient safety incidents, suboptimal care outcomes uh, due to low professionalism, and lower patient satisfaction. So, so what they did was uh, something called a, a, a meta-analysis. So. Uh, this this is, this is an epidemi- epidemiologic tool which really allows us to combine a lot of studies to increase the power uh, uh, of this study to answer a specific question. So we're trying to see uh, that what, the, what these investigators did was they examined uh, the medical literature and they found 47 studies. Which addressed this kind of study, this kind of question: Does physician burnout have impact on quality, effectively? And this involved about 42,000 physicians. So I I think this is a unique study. There aren't very many studies of this kind. It's probably going to be the prototype for others. I want to talk about one more. Uh, you know, I'm going to geek out a little bit on, on 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 study design and study study interpretation. I, I want to talk to the board about an odds ratio. So, so odds ratio is one of the things reported in here, so, uh, and it's going to be important as we make some, in, some uh, assessments about this. An odds ratio is the measure of an association between a measure and an outcome. So you know, what the heck does that mean? It measures the odds that an outcome will occur if there's some type of exposure. Mm-hmm. So in this case, the exposure is physician burnout. Uh, measured through a kind of standardized scale called the Mozblock Inventory, and uh, seeing if it has an effect on on a few things, and and these groups of investigators investigated three particular things, and I'm going to take you to the results, uh, which is in the abstract again on page 59 of your packet. In short, um, uh, if physician burnout is present, these investigators found there is a 1.96 times, almost a two times odds, that a patient safety incident will occur, almost a two times risk for a patient safety incident if physician burnout is present. The, the, the next item they, they, they found was that uh, there's about a 2.3 times chance of poor quality of care due to low professionalism if there is physician burnout which is present. And the last was there's about a 2.3 times odds of reduced patient satisfaction if there's physician burnout present, so I'd like us all to kind of uh, t- dig into that and then kind of open it up for dialogue. As I kind of did my introductory remarks, so uh, I, I open this up to to any 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 uh, of of our uh, chiefs, of staff, administrators, clinicians. Uh, we have we have commentary maybe from back of the room as we kind of steward this discussion over the next five to ten minutes. Um, so. Uh, Dr. Tornibate,
3: our our ACMO. Sure. Um, when I read this article, I just wanted to call note in the discussion around the particularly strong association um, around burnout and low professionalism of those residents and early career positions. And it's something that I know that are Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's something that I, that led me to communicate with Dr. Subramanian just to say, hey, what are we doing? And, and there's a whole list of things that we're doing to um, address resident burnout in all of the residency programs, and I was
4: really impressed by that.
0: Thank you. Sorry to call you out, Dr. Baden. Dr. Baden, do you have any commentary? Um, Dr. Baden, our chair of medicine. <laughs> Am mm-hmm.
2: Um
6: So I think that this is uh initiative physicians everywhere and not just physicians but i would say all healthcare providers um, i'll include nurses and advanced practice practitioners and anyone who delivers healthcare are facing um i think nationally um, and there's been a lot of attention at the GME level in terms of addressing this i think that it's sort of you build it and, and, and it will come but, you know with the recent approval um, of the position for a psychologist to support the medical staff and the residents people are coming out of everywhere to utilize this resource. It's really been incredible. And the number of people who have stopped me in the hallway in just the last two weeks of learning to say thank you so much uh, to the medical staff um, for approving this resource. I, I just called her. I'm meeting with her this week. I mean, I, I, would, take, I would say at the top of my head there's 20 people who, who I know of are utilizing this resource. And so those are the ones I know of. Yeah. Um, so I'm proud of the work that we're doing. Um, here at AHS around this, um, and also at a residency level, but I think we still could do so much more. Yeah. And Thank I you. think there's great opportunity for us.
0: I, I'd like to rem- remind this committee and, and those in the room, doc- Dr. Hearn was the spearhead on, on, on much of this work for uh, uh, physician well-being. Uh, Dr. Hearn, if you'll remind us uh, uh, what the resource provided is and a little bit of the pathway, the, the long road that you took to get us there. Absolutely so. Um,
7: in the ACGME requirements for graduate medical education, there is a, a listed requirement of 24-7 access to counseling. Um, and we have, and while many institutions have, uh, many larger institutions have uh, full-fledged medical schools and, uh, and um, psychiatry and psychology counseling resources dedicated to them, we don't, obviously, but um, we have we have people who are passionate about wellness and passionate about supporting our, our training programs um, and our medical staff, and so we, we were able to create through um, a relatively roundabout financing model where we got a few thousand dollars from here, a few thousand dollars from here, a few thousand dollars from here, dollars from here um, to create a half-time FTE um, Psychology counselor whose focus is on wellness and uh, and on, on uh, physician and provider wellness in general. So she is a half-time resource available to all campuses of the, of AHS, including Alameda Hospital and San Leandro Hospital. What's interesting is we, we just had a wellness task force meeting today, um, and it turns out that over a third of the visits are actually attending faculty level. Uh, visits, which w- was actually surprising, so the data that comes out of Washington, and Oregon suggests that maybe ten percent is actually attendings and ninety percent are junior residents, the majority mm-hmm. of which are first and second year residents but it 's really interesting and it shows that frankly wellness is a is a need across the spectrum of 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 providers um, and in literally just the first month um, she's been tremendously busy and she has she is She's remarkably flexible, and I'm a little worried about her own burnout, um, <laughs> in that she will see people at seven o'clock at night via Skype um, on the weekends, etc. cetera, um, because she's so passionate about this. She's actually actively engaged in the Beta Heart program for our second victim program, um, and there's a lot that, needs to, that, that we'll, we'll, we'll be progressing with our wellness programs. Um, we have wellness lecture series, et cetera, but still, she's only a half-time position. She's only been funded for one year, um, and the hope is that this, this if this resource gets utilized to the extent that it has been utilized, um, that this could actually be funded on a more permanent basis, um, and then we could have our own wellness center, um, and and provide a lot more resources. We've been actively involved and in engaging with Gina Rappaport, who is the wellness uh, coordinator for the entire system. Um, so right now we've just been focusing on the medical staff and the uh, residents, but in the broader spectrum. Wellness affects everyone. Um, it affects nursing, it affects EBS, it affects you know uh, folks from really all all manner um, who have to deal with the, sometimes the tragic things that we see. And it's really an important um, it's important aspect to, to, to share with, with our entire um, AHS community. So the long-term vision. Um, I don't think Deborah Barnes is here, but my, my foundation view is to have capital campaign to, to create a wellness, uh, space and wellness center um, and have ongoing programs and continue to, to, to benchmark our, our burnout.
0: Dr. Can you, can you Henry, can you remind the committee of the, uh, the organizational structure? Who, who, who does the wellness report to? Who's funding it? If you'll remind
7: us about sure, so the Sure, so the funding, funding comes from um, a combination of the medical staff um, of Alameda uh, Health System Board, the medical staff of Alameda Hospital, the medical staff of San Leandro Hospital, Um, to about a third of the the fees. A third comes from um, the CMO's office and the CMO's budget, and a third comes from AHP. Um, That allows us to have, since it's medical staff funded, it allows providers who are non-employees to also access uh, these resources. Um, And this person uh, reports to the CMO um, on a regular basis. Excellent.
8: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And a half-time seems is such a good start, but seems so inadequate for a system of this uh, uh, size and scale. So I think it's just the uptick of usage gives us even more. better to make sure that we uh, we just continue to make this a sustainable and a, and a feasible thing for more. Of our faculty and staff and, and uh, physicians to use. So definitely the foundation has to be a part of that. But I was thinking about whether it's safety incidents or whether it's professionalism or it's patient, so patient satisfaction, all three are equally important. And when you said that you see, so it's really nice to have someone who's coming in and mitigating it. But from your vantage, what might we be doing to prevent, not prevent, but at least preempt? Some of that, and create a culture that um, looks at burnout from the other end of the spectrum, prevention.
7: Well, it's interesting. I think that there are a number of different factors when you look at when you look at wellness or, or burnout or resilience. It really it boils down to the the Stanford model has three factors. One is the the perf, the, the individual factors, mm-hmm. like the individual coping mechanisms, etc. Um, the other is um, a a, an institution that has created practice efficiency. Mm-hmm. So for instance, when our residents end up faxing documents that normally in any other institution a clerk would fax, um, or getting discharge summaries from outside institutions that, are, that, is, that is not in their job description, they didn't go to medical school to learn how to fax, um, that, is, that creates overwhelming frustration, and that's a practice inefficiency that they're not working at the top of their license and that really adds to burnout. So there's individual factors, there's practice efficiency. Obviously, the, the unified EHR will help with that, but also you know, being able to see patients, and that, you know, seeing patients is why we all went to medical school, right, and, and so seeing patients and, and finding joint fulfillment in, a, in an efficient manner is, is really important. But then the third thing is actually a culture of wellness within the institution. So that is a culture of wellness that encourages physicians to, and providers to, Take breaks and to see a counselor and to have activities that foster this. And so it's not not that practice efficiency, and not the individual factors of how you deal with burnout, but an institution which sort of respects uh, individual like respects wellness as uh, as a mode to decrease medication errors and to increase you know patient safety practices um, and patient satisfaction. And it's there's a number of articles that talk about wellness as a quality indicator um, and a quality metric. And if you increase your wellness, like this article suggests, you increase a lot of really beneficial things about your system. Mm-hmm. So um, I hope that the work that we've been doing over the last few years with the, the Wellness Passports will only really continue to, uh, to mitigate some of these downstream
0: effects. I, I, I would I would request that we uh, get a formal report, if you don't mind, on this on activity uh, and and uh, perhaps have our, our 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 wellness officer come in and, and and give a her her take on yeah that'd be the, great only after the first three months February, yeah. maybe November yeah, January, or so perhaps January and, and and we can work progress but giving people always advance notice I think that'd be great we um, would love that any other commentary on on this this
9: uh, question, uh, Dr. Herne. So uh,
0: other than this uh,
9: wellness. Uh, Coach, is there any other uh, resources that the
7: resident can turn to for uh, issue like this? Yeah, so there's so there's there are clearly resources within the EAP program of a, of an institution. So if there's mm-hmm. a crisis, an emergency, there's like a one eight hundred number. Um, so, but they also have resources. A lot of times, the individual residency programs will have sort of um, peer support and uh, and you know, umbrage within the the residency program. Um, that's pretty much it in terms of uh, reaching out for for these
8: types of uh, like occurrences. And I would just add for the record to the culture that we promote just in terms of how much we communicate with folks, how we keep people in the loop, with big decisions that are coming down, all of those really attribute to how how stable you feel to, in working, so it's all of these other things that um, that affect how you practice. So as a board, as a senior leadership team, those are the kind of things that we, I think we don't know, we don't have the clinical country, but we can at least make sure that the other parts of it that make <coughs> life, um, that create a culture of respect, integrity, and values are things that we follow to mitigate some of that. Trustees,
0: any other further comment? Excellent. So I'll close by saying th- this article, I think, is one that we should uh, keep in our libraries. Our administrators, uh, staff, uh, physicians alike, it's, I think it's an important start to, to begin to quantify what has previously been a qualitative assessment about burnout and uh, what the impacts are for quality, which is the purview exactly what we do here in this committee. Safety, uh, timeliness, effectiveness, efficiency, equitable equitability and patient centeredness okay with that I'll close out item C1 and go to item C2 a uh, new item uh, uh, the standard work uh, uh, again we're trying to get on standard work here this is the QPSC reports calendar mm-hmm. um, uh, this I, I've added this new item in, in concert uh, with uh, Dr. Jamal Adin and uh, Dr. Hernandez with, I mean trustee internet. Hernandez was certainly the inspiration here. The, the, we, Dr. Jamaluddin and I will own this uh, this calendar and uh, it, it will, uh, this is on page 73 of the packet for uh, whom anyone is looking. So uh, we will own this calendar to, so we can map out our year with regard to either closed session regular reports, open session regular reports, and then we will start to populate miscellaneous open session reports. That might include hearing from our wellness officer. Uh, I know uh, 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 some of our uh, uh, elements within the Department of Medicine Want, I have been doing very good work vis-a-vis our translation services, uh, and that might go to equitability. Uh, uh, so uh, I think these are, uh, we can start to forecast where we're coming on the year. Uh, you know, uh, uh, as, we did, as we had earlier in the year, we had uh, our homeless uh, uh, commission come to, present to us so we could forecast for the year where that occurs. So this, this will be a uh, reports calendar for the year, updated on a monthly basis, in concert with Dr. J and myself. Any questions on this item? Is this acceptable? Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. So with that, uh, and and then I will migrate th- this to the last item, which is planning calendar uh, and uh, issue tracking. So that will close out item C2. That closes out item C. Uh, and we will now move to item D, report discussion uh, from medical staff reports. Uh, Doctors Hearn, Chu, and Magalong, uh, as I like to say, deal of mm-hmm. choice.
5: I'll call you out, Dr. Maglan. Dr. McGonaghan. Okay, can you go <laughs> <laughs> Dr. afternoon again. Um, for um, the Medical Executive Committee of Alameda Hospital, we uh, presented a credentials and privilege report earlier in closed session. Uh, the uh, medical staff also approved the um, clinical privileges for general surgery and podiatry multi-facility form, which is in the packet as well as the uh, temporary privileges application and the uh, medical staff um, advanced provider pre-application uh, form and process.
2: Um,
5: any
0: questions on, on these? Any questions on item A uh, for uh, Dr. Maglon's report? This is on page 7777 of the packet.
5: Please keep on. Thank you. Um, uh, we d- did not have any uh, professional Or uh, oh, actually we do. Um, so let me go first with the closing outcomes. We had discussions on NCU regarding um, processes uh, to improve patient throughput through uh, patient transfers uh, from uh, Highland to Alameda, and possibly improving, hopefully having. Uh, Patients from Alameda going to have a higher level of care. Uh, we are working with um, um, executive leadership for opportunities to review these cases and track and assess the health care issues that may arise from specific patients that are coming over. That we may you know, that we'll learn about you know how to
2: um,
5: improve the the uh, safety of these patients coming over from from the facility. So we'd like that dialogue and feedback uh, to happen at the higher levels so we could ensure that these uh, patients are being uh, transferred uh, safely. Um, uh, also, Dr. Magdalene, yes. on that issue,
0: do you have a sense on the, I'll call it the bi-directionality of these transfers? What, what is the net movement? Are more patients moving from Alameda Hospital to Highland or more from Highland to Alameda? And do you have a sense of that volume? So,
5: uh, so at present, it's more of uh, patients coming from Highland uh, Wida. Um, we've had some instances where we've requested a patients transfer to uh, Highland for uh, we because we don't have the specialist or the capability to performing certain procedures at our hospital. But um, we, have, we would like it to be more successful. So far, you know, it's been mainly um, uh, one directional. Um, and it's because of the bed availability at, at, uh, at Highland. Um, do you have a sense of that volume, and do you, are you aware of how that's being yeah, tracked? That is what we are trying to ask from the transfer center, okay? Because they they are tracking these numbers, and we want to get a sense. So, MTC has asked for um, you know, these uh, these metrics. So, about you know, where are the are well, the number of patients that are coming over during the day and at night time, how um, were there any um, uh, events during the transfer uh, that led for the patient to uh, decompensate? Uh, how many of these um, uh, patients, how long did it take to, for the patient to arrive at the hospital. We, we wanted to see these data so we can address and make it better. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what we were asking for from the Transfer Center. These um, issues were mainly discussed during our uh, physician forum dialogue with uh, Dr. Jamal. Welcome to Dr. Jamal, who has just
0: arrived.
9: Perfect timing. Hey, okay.
0: Sorry for... Sorry. So can you answer that question? Here? <laughs> uh, Dr. Joe, we're just talking about the bidirectionality of flow between Alameda Hospital and Highland Hospital. And if we had a metric for, or if we had a sense, a, a dashboard for how many are going one way versus the other, it, it seems to be it's Dr. Magalong's impression that most of these, the, the flow is towards Alameda but not from Alameda back to Highland which sort of makes sense given the, the capacity issues which uh, Highland seems to be experiencing. Right, right. Yeah, it really depends, I mean
7: last night there were, there were two transfers from San Leandro, um, ED for trauma patients who are repatriated uh, two to, uh, Highland, to Highland, to Highland, Highland for Highland. Uh, acute trauma issues, one okay. POR, so. Um, yeah, I, but I, but I largely, I do think that it is a, for those stable patients, many are getting transferred to Alameda. Yeah. But we used to have a transfer center that tracked all those. Yes, they are tracking, uh,
10: they are tracking those, they uh, meet quarterly, there's uh, transport council, and uh, uh, recently with uh, Dr. Tonabini uh, joining as the ACMO, she's gonna activate uh, the meeting on a monthly basis, and then ad hoc as needed. Uh, we, uh, uh, we, we almost never have empty beds at, at Highland, but we can deliver care for patients can go back again to the hospital so we are trying uh, as much as possible to deliver this care like we had two stroke patients last month who needed more surgical services so they were brought to highland even though we didn't have beds and then we secure beds for them, and then uh, they can return to Alameda uh, Hospital if they don't need uh, services that uh, require uh, So we're trying to activate as much as possible the bi-directional transfer, especially for surgical uh, services or advanced uh, services mm-hmm. that uh, we cannot deliver at Alameda Hospital. Uh, can I
3: just add to that? Yes. Um, a question about mm-hmm. surgery at Alameda Hospitalist for Dr. Megan or Dr. Jamaldeen. Um since we transitioned to UCSF surgeons, does that, are we only doing emergency surgery around the Hospital now?
10: No, we're being elected as well. The, the, clinic, uh, the clinic is also uh, in Aramuda Island is staffed by UCSF surgeons. Right,
5: oh, okay. Okay, so, so the services that were provided by the previous um, uh, surgeons uh, are the same services that are currently being provided by the new UCSF. Uh,
2: uh,
3: and anyway, uh, the reason I bring it up is because just today, um, of, uh, a nurse at, um, asked me why all of the surgical cases were now going to Highland um, after since the, the um, local surgeons since the surgical um, service change, and so I. That's why I brought the question up. But it sounds
10: like that was an incorrect assumption on the yeah, board.
9: Let me look into it. I mean, I maybe, uh,
10: I mean I'll, I'll, I'll speak to that nurse. I'll see, you know, whether we are. In, interest, uh, in general, the cases that are that might require advanced uh, care oh, and transfer, it. but uh, I didn't know about the uh, specific
7: transfers. The am aware of that about
2: uh, inserting,
0: yeah. okay. and all the cases and the OB-GYN, those are all still good. full. Okay, <coughs> good. thanks. Please continue, Dr. Michael. Oh, sorry. Trust yeah, me. I was just going to ask, were
5: there any services that migrated over or everything just
10: stayed? Uh, it, maybe it stayed, but there were, like, uh, procedures that they used to send to Sutter, like, inserting uh, uh, sort of orthopedics or that uh, general surgery do them at Highland, so we're going to be doing them at uh, Alameda Hospital. Uh,
5: Dr. Maglong, please continue. So during um, our uh, discussion, we also had uh, some uh, discussion regarding the uh, reduction of uh, radiology services at Alameda Hospital. This mainly involves the uh, procedure of patient Uh, So, it's a a procedure where um, fluid is drained in the abdomen of uh, a patient. It's usually done under ultrasound guidance. This was um, traditionally being uh, done by uh, the radiologist at at Alameda, and uh, recently there's been a a change in, in the services. I think what uh, we wanted to, and there's ongoing discussion with us now to address this issue with Dr. Jamal and Dr. Tonabeni, um, is that the services were uh, not being provided and the medical staff was not informed uh, of the change in, in, the, in the services. So this was, uh, this affected uh, uh, workflows within in the hospital and, and certainly some patients were not uh, getting them done, done in a timely manner. So there's um, ongoing discussion to that. I think um, uh, what uh, could have been better was the communication with the medical staff and engagement prior to the services being changed would have alerted us to uh, uh, the the changes that would be happening would have been better.
0: Dr. Maglong, did, did those questions follow through the clinical pathway as the director of the IR service, or
5: uh, I, I guess this would be my one? Um, more yes. Point. So, you yeah, know, I think the um, medicine committee had reached out to um, the, uh, the, 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 the director uh, department um, had about the uh, the changes of, of these services. Got it. Okay. Um, also, uh, there's further discussion with the, from the NEC. Uh, we support the concept and the future plan to extend DCSF General Surgery Resident Program at Alameda Hospital. And it's, <coughs> it's an ongoing uh, discussion, and there's, that we, uh, we are, uh, we are um, working with um, Dr. Uh, Victorino on this process. Um, we have a, a physician forum on September 18th which was well attended by the medical staff, and we appreciate Dr. Jamaldi's engagement with our medical staff. We also had some regular meetings with Dr. Klamadani, which we also appreciate, um, to discuss, you know, um, day-to-day issues at the hospital. Excellent. That's Trustees, any questions
0: for Dr. Magon? And uh, as I end with a report, do you have any other further comments or suggestions which would help us in the pursuit of the highest quality care at Alameda Hospital? No further. Thank you. Thank you for your report, Dr. Mike mm-hmm. Long. Uh, Dr. Chu? Yes. For the San Leandro Report.
10: Thank you. Um, so
9: we went back to privilege. We also the general surgery, multi-facility privilege, and podiatrist, multi-facility privilege. I'm going to item B, professional service and contracting. Um, we uh, have a new community searching, uh, that's been waiting uh, for a contract uh, with the uh, AHS or AHP to provide uh, ED uh, code coverage. And that's been uh, explored by uh, the chief medical officer and the uh, department uh, surgery chair. And uh, like uh, Anita, um we um, are having uh, we are in discussion with radiology contracting group about the availability of certain uh, radiological procedures done into a hosp- hospital. Uh, traditionally, previous uh, placement group we were uh, able to get some of the procedure done. Uh, such as a uh, paracentesis, a number puncture, um, mostly uh, a sanitary hospital. And now uh, with this new group we, most um, procedures are no longer available uh, at uh, sanitary hospital. Uh, uh, that creates uh, uh, more difficulty. Uh, at times uh, there are uh, patients in the hospital that require procedure or uh, sometimes we need to, to be transferred to a uh, uh, hospital to get a procedure done. And uh, we're reaching out to uh, the chair of the um, radiology and uh, trying to get a, um, we out a resolution regarding uh, getting this uh, IR. It's, uh, it's fairly common radiological <coughs> uh, procedure done
2: in a hospital.
8: So can you explain, again, so these procedures used to be done in your local hospitals until now and now they're going to be done in Hayao? Yeah. So uh, in the past, uh, I think uh, we uh, were
9: able, I'll say not all the time, I'll say about majority of the time, about 70-80% of the time, we have able to all the procedure uh here uh, uh sending to a hospital.
8: And thirty to, uh, twenty to thirty percent, I mean, 30 percent I mean, they time uh, they are, are the not system.
9: available. This depends on the radiology radiologists and their training uh some sometimes they're not available. Nice. And now, is yes, uh we are not able to get uh the procedure done here at all. Uh, and uh it uh, seems like uh is some kind of um, uh policy from uh, the radiology group, and not doing this procedure here at San Yashua Hospital.
8: So how is the communication system handled Dr. Cheney, do
10: The issues uh, are relevant to two situations, one was an LP situation at San Diego, the other one was culture, and another one related to paracentesis. And uh, with the previous big group, with those procedures uh, we looked at the data were not done invariably by the big group. There were situations where they have radiologists who's not trained by this, and then uh, we have transferred to high. So uh, our chair, uh, Dr. Eric Yasumoto, uh you know, is trying to accommodate as much as possible this procedure. The situation is that uh, we have to do this procedure, irrespective of who does them. But they are part of the competency of the hospitalist. Uh, and uh, at Thailand, most of the time they are, honestly done by residents. So we have some bylaws issues related to the competency and the number or number of procedures done per year. Uh, we are looking at this really, really to do it in an effective way. And, and in my uh, opinion, honest opinion, it is not patient-centered. And it is not sustainable to uh, bring this procedure down to the IR. Uh, the cost of IR time is, is quite high. IR radiologist is much higher cost than a reading radiologist. And then to bring the patient Uh, Down and uh, do the procedure uh, is not patient-centered. Those procedures could be done easily bedside. So we are looking and working together with the medical staff about doing these procedures effectively. Meanwhile, I have instructed uh, you know to escalate to, to me, but uh, you know as you speak, he has been accommodating as much as possible, and the training the invasive radiologists and the, the new radiologists that he has hired to do these procedures. Uh, there are in the competency. when You know, look at this competency, and this is an issue that has been discussed throughout the nation. There are procedures that are really basic, and uh, the question about uh, documenting competency, uh, it's like riding a bicycle, you know, you can not ride a bicycle for a year and ride a bicycle safely after one year. And we have our simulation center that uh, many organizations throughout the nation have done to uh, organize uh, training around the safe delivery of this procedure. So uh, that's what I've been working with uh, medical staff and uh, with uh, Dr. Tonabini and, uh, uh, and uh, the chairs to accommodate this procedure. Uh, you know, as we speak, the chair of surgeons said we will be happy to help and come and, uh, and help doing this procedure. The paracentesis procedure, uh, if you look at the hospitalists, most of them have trained at Highland and they were actually assisted by Dr. Eric Yasumoto and uh, Dr. Greg Victorino, who's uh, currently the interim chair of surgery. I'll be happy to help. So we want, as much as possible, create a situation which is patient-centered and patient-safe, and we want also the medical staff to feel you know, confident about doing this procedure safely. Mm. Does this answer your question?
8: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking patient-centered, so these patients who are in Alameda will come to get a procedure in Highland
10: and then... Well, we are, uh, I asked them to escalate if there is... Such so that they will do be done on site? The number of LPs that so are done, uh, most of the number of puncture, that's when we take CSF fluids from the back, uh, are done by emergency room physicians. They are all credentialed, and when a patient presents, and we haven't had any problem as such. Uh, the paracentesis, uh, where we take fluid from uh, the abdomen, is uh, a more common procedure, and then you know, most of the time it is done when a patient presents in the in the emergency room. So we had situations where the mood has emerged. Uh, uh, outside the emergency room at San Diego and at Alameda Hospital. So if we look at uh, the number of lumbar punctures that are needed per year
2: mm-hmm.
10: in San Diego, it's maybe two or three times, but are not done by the emergency room. So, you know, we accommodate this. And uh, the same thing with the paracentesis. We looked at the time when Vic was doing the paracentesis. we found probably, in the out of a year, 20 times were done by big. seven times were done by various medical staff, like uh, we found that Dr. Lowy has done, and he's a uh, ICU uh, physician. Uh, I can't recall the other doctors, but we will, we will work on this. And I ask to escalate to me personally in case I have issues.
2: Okay.
5: Dr. Madelon comments on, yes, I gum. think uh, the main issue that the medical staff at Alameda has is that, uh, which Dr. Jamal didn't have mentioned is the low volume of these procedures to keep your privileges spread. And there's a solution to that that we're working on. I think right now, um, because these services are not provided, so when we have patients there and it's somebody on that doesn't have privileges, then these procedure I mean these patients who need the procedure they're not being done. I think when the services were no longer provided, there's no communication to the medical staff. That we were, you know, giving us a heads up that we're not, we're not providing the service anymore, effective on this state, would have allowed us to adjust accordingly. We can work with our providers, our physicians, on our medical staff to understand is this is a workload issue. How can we help as, you know, as your partners? dealing with this issue, but to um, know that these procedures are not done on the day when a a patient needs it, when the expectation that it's going to be done, that is what um, I think needs to be um, written. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So uh, I'd like to discuss that. So are you saying you don't have clarity on the pathway? So let's pretend that a cirrhotic comes in today who needs a paracentesis and doesn't get it in an emergency room. What what does a hospitalist do? No, we
5: um, so right now these patients are being transferred to Highland. Okay. I,
0: I mean,
10: uh, I will address this. I spoke to Dr. to to really do this
0: procedure. And if you need anything, you can escalate Sure. So, Dr. Jay, you mean sending Dr. Yasumoto to Alameda to do the procedure? Yes. Okay. Is that a credential uh, or, or send one of his doctors. Okay. but uh, I, I had discussion with him. We will come up
10: with a standardized procedure. And Dr. Yasumoto's challenge is not only doing the procedure. Uh, you know, who wants to know what best needs to be ordered and uh, of
0: communication course. and uh, consent form and all of this. So we are standardizing this process in the system. Okay. And, and to, uh, as long as the medical staff and administration helps to mm-hmm. steward, uh, as, as long as everyone has understanding. Okay. So... Uh, uh, and
10: look. for the communication, I, have, uh, I, uh, I agree. I mean, if, if something is being stopped, uh, yeah, absolutely. We common communication.
0: -hmm. So, Dr. Maglong, it looks like you have a pathway
5: for discussion. Yes, it's a it's a ongoing discussion. Okay. Um,
10: Doctor Shibulal.
9: Yes, uh, we we actually uh, like to um, uh, follow up on the pathway. uh, Hopefully, it can be standardized for the community hospital uh, for both. uh, and San
0: Diego Hospital. And the opportunity here is an economy of scale, right? Uh, uh, having a similar process for all the hospitals out. So she's patient-centered yeah. mm-hmm. it's important. Mm-hmm. Dr. Chu,
9: please continue to report. Okay, right. so that's uh, on to uh, item C. Uh, we have quite a bit happening at uh, San Diego Hospital. Uh, Dr. presenting presented up the 2019 acute care uh, SBU period to the MEC and we had some discussion regarding that. And uh, we, uh, San Diego Hospital, also hosted an NHS uh, simulation center, actually right here, open house this month, and that was where we see, we were quite impressed by uh, how uh, the mannequins, how lifelike they like, and how procedure uh, <coughs> that can be simulated um, on the mannequin. Uh, the challenge is that our uh, final is falling behind. Uh, our no, will d- say that you, you need a certain amount of uh, procedure to be competent, to continue to be privileged on certain procedure, but, uh, and those I'm referring to patients, uh, they did not include the mannequins as part of the number that counts. Mm-hmm. So that's something we have to explore in order uh, to uh, include those uh, simulation cases as uh, part of the number. And then we had a um, successful joint commission survey. Uh, joint private the survey identified opportunity for improvement and those have been addressed by leadership. Uh, special thanks to uh, Trustee uh, Benerji for participating in the uh, leadership session in the survey. Uh, the um, survey were quite impressed by your presence and your uh, input.
8: I have to say, I thought it was, I was coming for a mock. So yeah, I had absolutely no idea when I showed up <laughs> that is, they, they were the real things. I just had got a full person. Um, Can you be there? Uh, so I, 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 I was very uh, Surprised. impressed by uh, the group. I know that uh, not having uh, Mickey, not having James, but you all which is a very special thanks to the, to, the and to the team and to all of you to, to be doing such a full uh, okay, to life together.
0: Congratulations on a positive
9: survey. you uh, know, right after the, the joint commission, we also had a successful uh, California Department of Public Health acute care uh, relicensing survey and uh, the, there, were normally, uh, there were some findings and those findings are not being addressed. And, um, and then uh, I'd like also to report, uh, I always uh, focus on each department. This uh, month I'm gonna focus on uh, uh, the medicine department. We had a quarterly critical care community report that shows our, our overall COVID survival rates uh, and patient discharge, life rates were both above the national average for comfortable uh, hospital. They were actually quite impressive. Um, mm-hmm. Congratulations again. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. So um, other issues. Uh, so we uh, have an annual uh, medical staff meeting will be held on uh, Wednesday, October 24th. A senior to our senior center and the trustee are invited. And, and we had a quarterly uh, provider uh, provider form just held on September twentieth uh, by uh, uh, Dr. Jamal here And highlights include vision for AHS and San Angel Hospital Road, and also the electronic
0: uh, medical record. Excellent. Any other further comments on the report?
9: Uh, mm-hmm. No, I mean, no, you Thank you for
0: thank you for the report, Trustees. Mm-hmm. Any questions for Dr. Chu? I'll end it as I end every all of them. Any further comments or questions or suggestions uh, with regard to uh, improving the quality of care at San Leonardo Hospital?
9: Uh, uh, like the issue uh, sounds like better uh, communication uh, between the staff and uh, also um, um, uh, you know like to uh, appreciate uh, the uh, trustee participation
0: on uh, our survey. Okay, well thank you very much. Thank you, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, with that, we'll move on to the last Chief of Staff report, Dr. Hearn, for Highland Corps. Thank you. Uh, trustees, this is uh, packet page 7474. Great, appreciate it. Um, so in
7: terms of credentials and privileges, uh, as was mentioned in the closed session, there were 13 initial appointments, five temp privileges, 27 appointments three proctoring activities, and 12 voluntary resignations. We have some additional credentialing actions in that uh, we uh, approved the clinical privileges, uh, multi-facility forms for general surgery and podiatry, as well as the temporary privileges application, and, a pre- and provide a pre-application request for applications uh, through the medical staff services basically to help streamline the application process. Um, in, in terms of quality and outcomes, um, one of the main things we have been discussing at, uh, at MEC has been the surge red uh, and this, the surge process. Uh, as. In many things in medicine, it sort of ebbs and flows, and right before Labor Day, we had wondered where all of our patients went, um, as we seem to be doing very well. Um, And then after Labor Day, we seem to be in a a sort of critical overload for about a solid week and a half. Um, So there are some challenges, again, that that the system is trying to work out. There's a reinvigorated throughput committee, uh, which is meeting on a um, monthly basis, every two weeks. Two weeks? weeks? Um, That is uh, again trying to um, address some of the surge issues. Part of the challenge, I think, uh, uh, is that the way that the overcrowding score is calculated. um, The initial score was based on uh, 61 beds in the emergency department, um, and as of, I believe, in May, we we discussed with Mr. Chapman about adjusting the number to actually reflect the numbers of beds that were actually staffed and available. Um, and it obviously was a much lower number, 61. I've never, in my entire life, I've never seen 61 beds in our emergency department staffed. Um, and so to use that number as the basis for our search calculus seems uh, challenging um, and not consistent with the actual number of beds possible. Um, and so one of the next stages in the throughput committee is to actually have a proposal from our nurse manager to officially change the scoring system to, to reflect the actual number of beds that are staffed um, with the recent cuts we've actually we've, we've had to eliminate some of our hours in our fast track area and some of our ortho beds in the middle of the night and so the number of beds dramatically goes down to as low as 35, uh, sometimes at night, Uh, and and obviously, if you're using a a calculation based on 61 beds, that's gonna be very different than a calculation based on 35 beds. And so that's part of the main challenges that we're facing with our our, 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 our throughput and uh, and search
2: processes so that um, with 61 beds it can look artificially like there's not a surge
7: problem when in fact there is a dramatic overcrowding problem based on the number of staffed beds. Mm-hmm.
8: So does that, I mean, I know that at finance you've spoken about that where we see that the ED volume is below you know, budgeted or the, and we know that the surge here and then we see, so is that part of what, why we feel that, the, and again, the budgeted volumes are for the previous year based on previous year. So when we see the impression volume is down and the ED volume is down from what we had budgeted. Is so that because of this calculation of your budgeting for these neuronets? But actually, it is.
7: No, as I understand it—correct me if I'm wrong. So the calculations for the the incoming budgetary uh, year is based on ED volume, and the and, the, and tr- in, in in truth, the the total number of volume of patients have, uh, in the ED has gone down in the, the last year or two. Um, the challenge is that the average occupancy rate is much higher. So patients are waiting in the emergency department longer this year than they ever have been in prior years. And so while our total volume might be down, and that was the basis for our budgetary um, uh, processes and the budget set for us, the total number of occup- the, bed the bed. total amount of time spent in each bed by each patient is actually higher.
8: The so so, length of stays. In the the length, length of stay for each
7: patient is higher despite our lower volume. And that's why. Can I
11: okay. okay. ask a question? when you saying waiting uh, longer, or are you saying to be treated, to be um, in all in all cases? So, and Barry might help me on this. Um, but from door,
7: so there are two patients that we are required to track. Two types of patients who are discharged from the emergency department and patients who are admitted from the emergency department and in both cases the average length of stay um has gone up um and so the, 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 the
11: time the total treatment time treatment and time. Mm-hmm. time you're not uh, you're not talking about the time from when they check in to when they're seen. You're saying the total It's It's totally, so in large it's these patients who are, like, last night for instance, there are patients who are waiting for 24, 17
7: hours to go upstairs, and it's that that length of stay, which, as I understand it, didn't necessarily affect that. So that total length of stay is higher, um, and that, I think everyone agrees, is a major player in our surge problem. Um, so but the
8: ones who are hanging out in the vacuum for three
7: days and Exactly. Those days. are about, that is all, uh, the, the sense of the problem, The the challenge is, of course, that, that, that the budget, as I understand it, was set on the ED volumes that have technically gone down, but our overall length of stay is higher. Am I correct in that statement, Dr. it mm-hmm. Just before it was from
11: arrival to, just not to I'm not sure what you were saying, not just treatment time, so the moment they check their triage until the moment they leave the ED, for the
2: certain
11: patients, mm-hmm. and then for medication the, the moment they arrive at the triage, they'll actually go the patient. Well, that's where I was clarifying. Right. So, so that that length is longer. Not uh, there was, there was a point of uh, dispute earlier about like the the wait time for a patient, which is usually quite a lot, is the time which it transferred to, or I'm sorry, um, um, triage to the time in which you actually see a provider, not the total length of stay. What it sounds like we're talking about here is two different versions of uh, of the the total time that they're in the ED vote for, whether they're admitted uh, to the inpatient unit or whether they're discharged home. So you're talking about yeah. that period of time for both of those patient populations being yeah. longer now than they have been historically. Yeah, so we we can
7: break out little pieces of it where each piece is. Is
0: it until, until they see a doctor or until they get it? We can break out each piece, but it'll be a longer
7: discussion. Yeah, but in large measure, I think that the bottom line is that the search process is, is still an evolution, mm-hmm. um, and it has required some... Uh, modification of, uh, of the actual scoring system. Mm-hmm.
11: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, I'm yeah. sorry. Just want to, I apologize for interrupting point Another uh, point that's uh, probably important to clarify is, is um, um, the extent to which um, the sense of your activity in the Surge uh, um, Committee or the work that uh, the, the group working on this is that um, the drivers of that are, are um, uh, sort of capacity driven, whether that is throughput for patients or if that is. Driven by staffing and the availability of staffing to actually move patients through where there is where there are other resources like beds and other places that are available for patients. Right. I I, I agree with that question. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I was asking if you could share if you have some sense of. Yeah. I think in most in,
7: in most senses it's a capacity question. I mean, there are, uh, uh, last month I think at the at the board meeting I, there were you know 26 patients who were waiting for ultimate disposition, like they're stable and they're just waiting to be placed. place. So in large measure, again, it's, it's when you talk about hospital overcrowding in general, it tends to be a back door issue, not a front door issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's getting patients through the hospital in place to get them out of the PACU, to get them out of the ED, mm-hmm. um, and to generate that capacity. Yeah.
8: Dr.
0: Earlier, you discussed this in detail last Dr. Kern, a question for me um, excuse my ignorance point of clarification. You were talking about how you know the, the difference between sixty five available beds and thirty five okay. available beds. So my question, who's the directly responsible individual who sets the parameters of that calculator who determines who's that person who sets that n- 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 that number? In the initial
7: process um, mr. Chapman uh, had input from uh, a couple different directions yeah um, and he set that number um, there's some question as to who had input into that uh, number but in, in any case we I think we all uh, can agree that it, it, at this point it's process driven and there will be uh, as I understand it a proposal put forth to the throughput committee soon to adjust that and not about a month ago, it, it was, we were told that that number had to be remain fixed, as though, although we understood that, that the charge nurse could be flexible and change the number based on the actual numbers of beds that were staffed. We were told that that number had to remain fixed at 61 or 63, um, in which case, we are in, I believe the ED nurse manager is now coming forward with a formal proposal to the throughput committee to allow some flexibility based
0: on the actual numbers that's okay. staffed. Dr. Baden, do you have any comment on that? Sorry, I'm always calling you out.
6: Yeah, I don't have any comment. I think if we need to take a look at our numbers, we should take a look at our numbers. Mm
0: just because that's such an important uh, parameter to to the calculus, just <coughs> determining that number seems like a very important point. So right. stewarding stewarding that management decision alone, I think, is an important dialogue for the bank. Right. Right. And so, our our, mm-hmm. our, our ED
7: medical director, mm-hmm. Dr. Perez, Bernice Say Perez, has been uh, discussing with uh, Sylvia Lozano and uh, Stephen Cronin to get a uh, a more uh, formal proposal uh, yeah. towards the throughput committee.
6: She's been very involved in the throughput committee subcommittees. Yes. Bernice Say has, so I think that's fine. There's no. You know, there's no perfect measure of this, right? Because even the knee docs doesn't account for what's happening really on the inpatient side or what's happening in the PACU, for instance. So we're not going to achieve a perfect, you know, way to measure this no matter what. I just, I think we should be clear about that. But we can do our best.
0: I just feel compelled to add that I... Actually, hold on. Uh, Dr. Baden, will you give the mic to yes. Dr. Simon since he won't come? up? We'll call him out of the mic. Yeah, I, I don't
10: want to uh I, I don't want to lose. set it The issue is the patient care. The, the number's important,
11: and it's important for us to document our overcrowding and using real numbers. But the real impact is that our patients are waiting for a really long time. And I don't know if you've been a patient
10: lately, but it's horrible to be able to admit a patient sitting in the emergency room for a very long time. And then the other end is there are a lot of really sick people that end up sitting in the lobby for a very long time without getting care, as a result of all this. So the number is important
0: and it's important to track it and measure it and all that kind of stuff. But I hope that we can really focus on what's really important for patients. Agreed. Looking for the important measurables. Yeah. So we are driving uh, for Dr. J.
10: So I uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Barry. Thank you, Jean. We are uh, looking at, uh, you know, several interventions. Uh, you know, I can't go so much into details, but we are listening to various suggestions. But uh, we want, uh, there are situations where we have patients who have to wait to go up to the right place, and uh, sometimes it is need uh, of telemetry or various uh, unit. but we are ensuring that the patient getting the best care and the same standard of care uh, as up, and we want to, you know, I'm looking in various model with uh, with Barry and the nursing leadership to ensure that we deliver the care in a more effective way. Meanwhile, uh, we are establishing more effective dashboards to see, uh, uh, you know, to see the flow in the ED. Uh, we have put on the true north metric our cycle time for admitted patients, but we are keeping also inside the other metrics. We we'll try to have them almost on a daily basis. Once we have Epic, you know, we will be able to see everything on a daily basis by unit, uh, by bed, by bed availability. So we we'll have much more effective metrics. But meanwhile, we are looking at uh, different interventions. Thank you, Dr. Jack.
7: Please, Dr. Hunt, continue. All right. A few more things. Sorry to take so much time. Um, we're here. Again, we, uh, in terms of, uh, again, speaking about patient flow, we were talking about uh, focusing on improving the discharge process communication and capacity, uh, and, of course, uh, accountability, accountability and sustainability planning for uh, processing uh, the process and outcome metrics. Um, in addition, we had a, a uh, discussion from the acute SBU, um, uh, the acute care dashboard was presented, um, including all 13 metrics. We had a recent report from the GME program um, and uh, discussed the 150 interns and residents which are based out of Highland, uh, the next generation of caregivers, obviously. We had a recent um, ACGME survey, which is a national, um, uh, it's called a CLEAR visit, it's called a Clinical Learning Environment Review. It's a two-day site visit um, that is uh, similar to um, Joint Commission uh, to some extent in that they, um, but it focuses purely on the medical education aspect of, uh, of the site. Um, so they talk about six focus areas, patient safety, healthcare quality, care transitions, supervisions, uh, supervision, well-being, and professionalism. There's a number of very detailed, they have meetings with residents separately that are all anonymous. They have meetings with the program directors, they have meetings with uh, Mr. Finley, they have meetings with uh, DIO. Uh, they have meetings with, uh, with the CNO as well. Um, and there are lots of, um, it is not a punitive per se meeting, but it's more of a fact-finding meeting uh, site visit to understand how robust the program is, uh, the, the, the GME system is within the hospital to support all the different programs. Um, it was it, it was a largely favorable report with some areas of, um, uh, areas of improvement. Um, clearly, we have very strong training programs. We don't have that many of them, but the programs themselves are very strong. Um, but it uh, also sort of acknowledged the increasing role of the quality of the department. Um, let's uh, acknowledge uh, Dr., Dr. Hussein here as well, um, and uh, and Darshan, into developing a more integrated um, quality uh, improvement training for our residents. So it was a, overall a very uh, a very positive uh, site visit, even if a little painful, um, just in terms of knowing sort of areas for us to improve. Um, so that was good. Um, and initially uh, as we spend a, a fair amount of time talking about uh, the electronic health records and the system-wide rollouts and the physicians and providers' involvements in that, um, and we continue to uh, actively support that. Um, in fact, there's a physician advisory committee meeting um, at this very moment. <laughs> Um, Other issues, we had uh, some bylaws revisions uh, in Exhibit 3 that were relatively, uh, that you can review at your your leisure. Um, We had that pathology and lab medicine annual report, um, which obviously provides a wide range of testing, lab medicine services, and pathology expertise. Um, The department chair, uh, Dr. Ng, is continually assessing quality and patient experience as well as performance, uh, staffing needs, and productivity. Um, and the medical staff committee's involvement uh, via membership on numerous committees as well. Um, in addition, um, the, the laboratory medicine folks are engaging leadership uh, to uh, increase laboratory standardization system-wide. Um, and finally, as we had mentioned before in our earlier session, the wellness program is, is while in its infancy, the resources available now have been um, uh, utilized quite tremendously by both residents and attendings. Um, For those of you who are late in uh, in coming to the room, uh, um, greater than 33% of the visits to our wellness counselor were by attendings, um, which is remarkable. Um, And it just shows the the active need for ongoing wellness programs, so we're very happy about that. Um, And we are planning on perhaps doing a report um, in January of the first few months of its its service. There's also going to be a a system-wide wellness lecture, I believe, on October 24th at noon. It will be um, broadcast to um, all, nine, all nine centers. Uh, uh, and it the, the is a wellness specialist from Stanford um, on um, wellness topics in, in medicine. We'll be able to we'll broadcast more, more broadly in the next week or
0: two. the actual invitation. Thank you. Thank you. Anything further, Dr. Hearn? No, that's it. The trustees, any comments or questions for Dr. Hearn? Dr. Hearn, standard Board. <coughs> Any comments or suggestions which would help us in the pursuit of the highest quality of care at Highland Core? Um, no, I think we've, you know, the things we've talked about already are,
7: have have highlighted the need for sort of open communication, and uh, and again, I think that the main thing for us right now at Highland is is uh, the sense of the, the surge, the ongoing surge throughput process. we we're, we're we're happy that that committee is reinvigorated. Um, there is a little bit of a concern right now, just in terms of nursing uh, leadership, uh, in terms of, there's a um, you know, there was just an announcement that it's a senior nurse, uh, I don't know what his current title is. The the VP of Patient Care Services. VP of Patient Care Services has announced he is leaving um, the system in, effectively in the next week or two. Um, so that leaves us without a Chief Nurse Executive for um, Many months, and now the next senior nurse is also leaving. So and there's just a question of like, if uh, for our patient safety and quality, um, it is it is absolutely necessary to have active participation from from nursing. Um, and we have some excellent nurses who remain who help with that, but they are not at that level. They are they are um, lower down, uh, and so it's it's. It is a question in people's minds in terms of, like, making sure that we have active nursing engagement. There are committees for which nursing is supposed to attend, and they have not in months. One of them is the interdisciplinary practice committee meeting. Um, so if there's just there's some questions that we have
0: in terms of moving forward with our, our active patient safety goals. Thank you. my trustees? Thank you for that report. With that, we'll close out item D, the medical staff reports, and we'll move into item E, uh, the SB report, SBU report this month. It's ambulatory. Um, I believe it is going to be oh. Catherine Horner, our VP of ambulatory. Uh, Ms. Horner, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Uh, will you tell us why Dr. Paula Babaria, the CAO, is not giving us this report? Yeah, so
1: Paula gave birth to her baby on Monday. So she yeah. is effectively on maternity leave.
0: So she congratulations to both of you in public uh, form. Forum. Please yeah. look forward to share. She's <laughs> doing well. Baby
1: and her are healthy, and they named
0: him Zebin. So trustees, uh, the the nicely uh, written narrative uh, begins on page one thirteen of your packet. Mm-hmm. As we previously discussed, we're trying to do 75% uh, uh, discussion, 25% uh, reports. Uh, so, uh, uh, so with that, um, I'll let, I'll let uh, uh, Ms. Horner kind of lead us through key elements and open it up to the trustees for questions. If we can do this section by section and then leave it. Is that okay? Oh, okay. Well,
1: actually, I have some slides to
0: uh-huh. go through. Okay. That's uh-huh. perfectly fine. Slides um- to complement the, the narrative.
1: I know the purpose is to be have a dialogue, and so I'm happy to take questions as we go along. And then, if there's things that we've talked <coughs> about in our report that aren't touched on here, then I will answer. I may able to answer them, and we have Rachel and um, other folks
0: here. I think that's great. All right, please. Okay. okay. How many minutes of slides do you think you take? Oh, I just
1: have like four slides. I think. Excellent. Wonderful. No yeah, good. and what I really the talk. it's um what I really wanted to do was just demonstrate. Um, now that we have our Tree North metrics for the year, kind of describe how we're cascading that information um, uh, down and across our ambulatory division. So this is our new Tree- Tree North dashboard, um, this is our first month showing the data. And as we described in our report, there's a the main change that we've made is around our access metric. So, we used to um, include um, our third next available data and our no-show um, uh, rate data on this report, and we're moving to um, show our lead time data instead. Um, we are continuing to look at those metrics as you'll we'll see as, we, as I show cascading the information down. So lead time is um, the time when the patient checks in for an appointment to when they're discharged. Um, and we're moving towards this, and we think that it's, uh, we've done a lot of work in the last few years to improve our access um, into our clinics, and we're ready to take on another challenge. Um, we also think that this um, metric is going to be really timely as we move into EPIC, because um, we'll also be able to gather this data in that new system.
4: Catherine uh, yeah. and, and uh, Dr. Hussain uh,
0: for a uh, comment on the on this particular metric. Re- to recall, with the QPSC, we approved 13 TNM uh, dashboard items in, in July. I just want to uh, I thought there was discussion about the title of this one from lead time, because didn't we discuss maybe calling it cycle time, the, fo- the full time, and I, I just want to recollect if we had that, if that's, yes, um, because lead time seems a little bit funny, a total clean cycle time from start to end, and I just wanted clarification on that discussion, you'll, you'll have to remind me.
4: Yes. Um, uh, I think Catherine will describe to you that there's cascading metrics in the ambulatory setting, so we wanted to stick with the name that made the most sense to our operational leaders because there may be a series of other measures that they might have labeled differently. So it was largely at the discretion of what made most sense within the op, uh, amateur operations. So um, we stuck with the, with the title that made most sense to the people who got the data in hopes that this committee would understand that that was the reason why. And, and
0: also for, the, for, the, for it to make sense to the committee as well, right? So lead time uh, in, in some circumstances is the time it takes to get up to event, and in, in, in other circumstances cycle time was the total time to go through. So I'll leave that up for discussion for the board. Uh, of course we want we want to be accommodating to how ambulatory is measuring, but we want the dashboard for the public to be able to digest this, for the board to be able to digest this and know what it means.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm actually happy, I mean, I'm happy to change it to total cycle, total cycle
8: time. Yeah. yeah. Well, that shouldn't be because of me. It should be. No, I, I would assume it was lead time and wait time.
0: So the third, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um,
10: yeah. So uh, Dr. Che. So, I uh, mean, the title, uh, I, I recall a little bit of the discussion, yeah. there. Uh, the question in the cycle time uh, in the lean, in the lean, uh, verbiage, uh am involved added. For the patients. The lead time is non value added. The waiting time for a patient to be seen, to be, uh, to be assigned, and uh, to, to do all of this is non value added. What is a value is really the time uh, to see the physician, the time with the physician, and then, uh, and then the time to just leave. But this is a value time. So in my understanding, Catherine, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you want this to be as, as short as possible.
0: So we want this total time, because this is from reg to walkout, right?
1: Well, it's from check-in to, to discharge. Check-in um, to discharge. I think what's important, and you'll see it as we cascade the information down, is that we want it to be as short as possible that's clinically appropriate. Of course. Right? So we want to target the interventions that we want our clinics working on are around reducing the non-value-added time, the waiting room time, the waiting and the exam room time, and the waiting for the discharge instructions. So that's what the, the focus should be. So. But yes, the goal is to help the entire it. And again, that,
0: that's my, as a steward, I guess, for, for, for how the public sees this uh, and, and as we see it, I, w- I want the public to be able to see these dashboards and say, oh, this is how long it takes me to get into a clinic and then get out of a clinic. And lead time, I'm not sure if it, if, if it does that. Yeah,
8: I presumed it was the non-value time.
0: Yeah. 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 We, are, we actually
1: was about to just have a non-value at a time, right. um, but it's hard. Uh, I to, derive to, it's to derive that.
0: It's very difficult to drive that. So we're just doing total times.
1: Yeah. So we we chose total lead total lead time, and you know I'm going to bring it back to our group to see whether or not to to change. The if, if
4: you don't mind,
0: uh, and yeah, yeah, I'm
1: happy to. Okay.
4: And whatever you decide, we'll change it to. One thing just <laughs> for clarity is that um, even when posted online, we always have the definitions page that follows the dashboard. Yeah, and if we could add
0: units into it, because I believe those were minutes. OK, that would be great.
1: OK. Um, so the next one um, to focus on is our prime and our QIP metrics on target. Um, into that much. And then the last one to bring up is our CG cap score so this is our top box radar providers. <laughs> so now that we have these tree north metrics across the ambulatory for the year we're now working with folks to develop our annual performance goals. Um, so these are in draft form. They're going to be finalized next month and we are working to be really transparent about what we're holding um, our system leaders, our med, uh, medical directors who are AHS employees and our practice managers are responsible for So under quality, so that's, this is kind of um, uh, refers to the prime and the QIP metrics from the true north. Mm-hmm. So what we've done in primary care is uh, look through a crosswalk with um, those prime and QIP metrics, get input from folks about what they think are actually valuable, um, are aligned well with our team-based care approach, um, that we're working on, and that we have the data right now so that we can be sharing it on a regular basis so people know what, where they stand. Um, in specialty care, um, flu vaccination rate is, our, is one of our prime metrics. Um, we started uh, giving patients the flu shot in our specialty care clinics last year, and actually was really successful in that. Um, and because it aligns with Prime, if, if we have a flu season, anything like we did last year, mm-hmm. we think this is um, going to be great for our patients. So we're going to continue to look at that. Um, under workforce, um, we um, we did a little bit of staff branding last year, but I think that we're going to kick it up and hold our uh, everyone in a leadership role in ambulatory care responsible for regular staff meeting staff rounding and right now we're working as a group on on not reinventing the wheel but doing what uh, AHS has done previously um, and we're working on that so that's sustainable and it's not a one time thing like it's uh, been historically um, system turnover is a Metro. I'm streaming you guys have seen that before but that is an AHS wide one that gets pushed down to us um, And then our cg Cap scores. Um, This year we did a relative improvement within each clinic. So instead of holding everyone to um, the True North metric, we actually looked at your individual locations and um, gave you a score based on how well or um, if you stayed the same in terms of patient experience scores. And then just to see a little bit further with CG-CAPS, so this is the monthly data that gets pushed out. You can see the True North metric, which is our top box rate, the provider. And then we've been showing these two watch metrics. The first, you can't really read that, but the first one is around phone access, um, which we are gearing up this, this year to work on. We, we have, This is like operational gap for us right now. Um, so we're gonna keep that metric on a monthly distribution list. But the second one is around communic- uh, provider communication. And on a system level within ambulatory, we are not going to be working on this metric this year. And so instead, we are going to be changing this to align with our true north metric, which is seen within 15 minutes of appointment. Mm -hmm. Questions about? Thank you,
5: great.
1: Okay. So then, um, just going down the line with the other annual performance goals for us folks include sustainability with maintaining budgets and our visit volumes. This is what we held the McCona Voted this year and that's going to continue. And then you see um, under access to align with the True North metric we have total lead time. So this will be um, a relative improvement score for each of their areas. Again, um, like CG caps um, and their quality metrics. Um, So we're excited about that. Um, and then the last slide is around our weekly data. So you guys have seen this uh, weekly push of data that goes out. Um, this one is for HCP-5, so our specialty areas, and um, our GI clinic and endoscopy suite infusion. So you see um, we're continuing to look at um, patient demand um, and our access into those clinics. We're not changing any of those weekly data that we, that we share. Um, at the two um, lower ones, we started sharing this summer, and those are our cycle time data. So we're sharing registration cycle time, so from check-in to the end of registration, and then last week's intake cycle time. So this is basically the end of registration to when the patient is ready for the provider.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, this is what we've been sharing up until now. I think after we finalize the uh, the performance goals, it, this will no longer be informational, as it says here. We'll, there'll be Um, targets associated with each of them, and we will be adding a total lead time, or we change the name of it, something like that, and it will be a relative score, so they'll be able to see, compared to what their uh, relative improvement goal is, how well they're doing to achieve that. So that's, I just wanted to share what we're doing to cascade the message down. Um, And we're happy to take questions, and then I know that there was a lot that I didn't cover that's in the report, and
4: trustees.
0: Questions from Ms. Warner? So, uh, definitely a very nice report. I ask, uh, uh, not for, uh, for all of us, For if you're going to present a report and include slides, please include slides in the packet so we, we can re- review them before in addition to the narrative. So, thank you for walking us through the slides. Uh, uh, the narrative was very well uh, written. I, I did have one question within the narrative uh, which uh, related to an e-console update, which was on page 116 of the packet. And and uh, in short, uh, we, uh, uh, when ambulatory gave the prior report three months ago, there was a lot of discussion about Rubicon and an anticipated launch in October uh, for this. And we, uh, if, if, if the committee remembers, uh, I even gave a live demonstration of doing uh, a Rubicon uh, showing the workflow that I use for it. Yes. So. Um, uh, the the body of this uh, narrative says, unfortunately, due to delays with our Rubicon build, the go live of this effort was pushed back to the winter of 2019. Uh, Catherine, can you comment on, on this vis a vis Rubicon and, and leveraging our relationship with CHCN and electronic communication and, and what have you? A lot to chew off.
1: Right. So, I mean, I'll share, and then I'll you. and Rachel are welcome to join, and they've been integrally involved in this. But because of the Rubicon delays in their build, and um, after uh, talking with our San Francisco colleagues that already have Rubicon. And they are also transitioning to Epic. Um, And then the third thing, we saw Epic's um, capabilities in the e-consult, e-referral venue. And their functionality, Epic's functionality, is actually better than um, than it was six months ago, a year ago. And so we now feel confident that we can work with Epic to build. In their foundation system, what um, <coughs> it's not as um, pretty as Rubicon is. So the not as like it's not as um, it's not built by like web designers who are like you know. But it has the same functionality, and I think that um, just the overwhelming posit- positive um, positiveness of us all being on the same system is going to outweigh
11: um, going with Rubicon at this time. So I don't know, Doug, Becky or sure if you want to add anything to that. MR. sorry. That was great. Uh, and I'll add just a few more points. So so from the context of uh, uh, the relationship with uh, the CHCN, so obviously uh, uh, the direction was, was um, spurred by the continued relationship with CHCN, but it was also for us replacing our own internal um, um, uh, approach to e-consults, which was different from uh, what we were doing externally, as well as e-referral for the entirety of both uh, internal and external. Uh, as, as Catherine mentioned, um, um, uh, sort of frame that, we, we you'll recall, uh, with the board support, our move towards EPIC was predicated on us using EPIC as fully as we possibly could with the investment that we're making, and this was an area where, at that time, there was a concerned that epic won both the timing for when which we go live on it as well as in the uh, the known sort of functionality that epic had uh, that this would still be a, uh, a complement that we need to add to it I think Catherine's correct that uh, there are some sort of minor uh, some some cosmetics some tangible uh, uh, distinctions between what Rubicon can offer and what epic will but on a fundamental basis um, uh, we are now confident uh, along with um, our, our colleagues across the Bay that this will actually serve uh, the bulk of the purposes that we need. And uh, now, given that delay that she mentioned, um, we were pushing up against some pivotal time where greater attention and focus needed to be on uh, making having a successful uh, epic um, to build and go live. And so uh, the direction has been to uh, uh, reexamine whether that made sense, this uh, prevailing uh, Uh, is that we're at a point where we're going to uh, uh, shelve that uh, direction because continuing along with it seems to be incongruent with a broader direction that we want to take. The last thing I'll say, though, is uh, we are continuing to partner with um, the CHCN to do the e-consults that we are currently doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, So there's no change in direction from that because that's not in the body of the contract that we have. It's more of what we do with them. I apologize. I said last thing. I think there was one other piece. Um, uh, she's right that about the bells and whistles again. Uh, but the other piece that was a bit of a concern for us was uh, when we move from uh, just purely e-consults to e-referrals. The referral streamline is much more than just sort of what happens with the specialist and the uh, and the uh, uh, primary care doctor. It involves a lot of things like authorization, uh, verification, all that other stuff with the uh, patient and with the health plan. And uh, those things were going to require interfaces that sort of again if we use the so, um, uh, functionality within Epic would be a lot more streamlined because it's sort of built uh, into the whole thing so so that's the direction we're we're likely tacking in now and we'll probably be all but final in a, another couple of days here the
6: yeah, um, I would just only add that I think we have the opportunity, as Delvecchio said, we're going to continue to use Rubicon in the current fashion that we are to provide e-consults, and I actually think that between now and when we um, fully launch on Epic for e-consults and e-referrals, we can even add some specialties to our Rubicon, um, our e-consult service for CHCN, um, just because there are some... Uh, areas w- which they've been requesting, um, and we have them on hold until the bigger Rubicon build But in talking with their CHCN leadership, I think, I think we have some opportunity to you know, continue to provide this service boss and even enhance it. So I think we're going to take that opportunity.
8: So there won't be any stoppage in key consult services until, so Rubicon will continue until the
11: transition Until we're on to Epic, yeah, and oh, may oh, as we're just saying, there may, be, uh, yeah. there may be an opportunity for us to move more services yeah. under that construct okay. than under this one. Okay. 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 Dr. Rain, can you comment on That's
0: current okay. setup structure for the, the Rubicon?
6: On current setup and structure? Yeah. Um. You know, there there's a handful of specialties that have been providing, actually, it, for exactly two years now, the um, e-consultation to CHCN through this platform that Taft, who's one of the providers, Dr. Jamaluddin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're going to continue those services. Uh, there may be some <coughs> opportunities to add some um, women's health, um, some behavioral health, and some uh, orthopedics, and some of the specialties, especially where we're very impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some buy-in to, to add those services, infectious disease. So we're, we're looking into that um, and, and continuing that partnership with them and that dialogue. Thank you.
0: So, so to, to clarify, the, the, the previous discussion about a launch this fall is now going to be pushed back to winter of 19, as per as yeah, per. Yeah. So,
6: so I don't know when. Uh when exactly the full functionality in Epic will be available to us. Um, I think the assumption will be available when we launch. Um, the good news is, um, to paint a silver lining, is that we've done a lot of work, and you know this, um, around preparing for the Rubicon launch, and none of that work is lost. All the work, I mean, hours of provider time went into building these guidelines, um, but we'll be able to use those guidelines um, in our Epic system. Um, so I think you know, it, it, it will look different, um, but we're hoping the functionality will be the same. And, and we're in a, like a three to four month frame shift off from San Francisco General, so we're following in their path. So a lot of this work has already been done in Epic for them. Um, so we're hoping to... Capitalize on that
0: for our build. So, in in, in le- part of this was to leverage a great relationship with CHCN, which we're very committed to. So, uh, while we go live in, in in late 2019, and we would be ready, when is CHCN supposed to be up on Epic? Because it sort of predicates that they have something to
11: communicate with us through. Yeah, they uh, so they have the CHCN is a a, a consortium of about eight different uh, independent. Uh, Uh, FQHCs, they are going um, live with Epic through an entity called Ocean, and of course their sort of go-live is less complicated than ours, uh, uh, but it's complicated by the fact they have multiple entities who are doing it, so they have a plan to do a rolling uh, set of go-lives starting in, uh, current estimate is January of next year. So they will have sites up on... Like in three months? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. They will have sites up on Epic uh, uh, long before we're live, and I think they would have uh, maybe... One or two more who are not uh, live by the time that we go live. Okay. Nice. Uh, I, I forget what their sequence is, but I remember the first yeah, one. well, that's excellent. So, so,
0: so we would be rate limiting here. So it's our. So we have time to build this, yeah. and then they will be ready to communicate with us when, right, when, we, when we turn it on.
6: When we. And to be clear, I think they're going to continue Rubicon indefinitely because Rubicon offers you know specialty services that we don't for them from their national network, and so there'll be continued overlap with Rubicon. For as long as we need it with them, um, that's, that's and so there'll be no interruption of that.
0: Okay, thank you, um, yes. Trustee Jensen You had a comment.
6: Um,
3: my my question was about the um, the last part of the, the report, the dermatology service instruction and I I apologize, but I seem to recall that there was the dermatology service was an issue about a year or a little bit longer. Is there some to the service that's being restored, is
11: that we changed it during the budget process? Yeah. I don't know if you recall uh, that, but I, I'll allow Could you just yeah. to, uh, refresh my memory. Yeah, uh, yeah, Dr. Baden and Dr. Barbara gave a
0: nice uh, uh, talk to us it. about before, but there's lots of stuff. Uh, Reader's Digest version, Dr.
6: Yeah, Baden. and as part of our budget process, we, we evaluated all of our services. Mm-hmm. Um, including dermatology, and we determined that we were losing approximately one million dollars a year with the uh, with the previous uh, structure we had and uh, significant overhead for dermatology. So we've consolidated the service, um, and we're in the process of recruiting a full time dermatologist to uh, to serve all the wellness centers and and the Highland campus. We have our uh, first two candidates coming tomorrow and Monday. Excellent candidates. Um, and in the meantime, services have been provided. Um, at uh, by Dr. Elizabeth Ringrose, who's been at Highland as a dermatologist for, I think about 50 years, yeah. um, maybe a little bit more. She, mm-hmm. She's a long-standing um, medical staff member, mm-hmm. and she's continued to provide she's actually upped her, her time to help bridge us um, until we hire a, a new full-time dermatologist um, as well as great, great help from um, our colleagues in the same day clinic who've, who've, who've supported her in providing the service. And
3: to be clear, we had had, a, uh, we had, had some um, reduction in genetology staffing in the last two years.
6: We had reduction um, this summer. Um,
3: right, but even before that, but this summer there was reduction. Now we're gonna we we restore um, some of the
6: yeah. We're reduced. restoring the service to be more patient-centered, to provide more efficient care, and be much more cost-effective. Those are our goals.
3: And we couldn't do that with this with the resources that were there previously. Correct. Okay, then my, my last question is <laughs> much more general, and I don't, I'm not expecting Dr. Burden to answer this, and perhaps dive back here. Um, I'm looking at the last slide in our package.
0: Page, for this page p- 117 of the packet, which is an outline of the, of the new org
3: chart. Right, and so I'm just trying to figure out, and according to last year's budget, we had um, 16, about 16,000 acute care discharges and we had um, about 284,000 clinic visits. And, and we're talking about ambulatory right now. And I'm just trying to figure out where ambulatory fits. It's kind of a broad question. Where does ambulatory fit in here? I'm seeing there's acute care and there's support services, system transformation, post-acute, so post-acute is all, post-acute, each, um, the Box Tops or Vice President of Rehab and Fairmont square Nursing. And we have Long Term subacute, Park Bridge School Nursing, South Shore School Nursing, nursing Acute Rehab and Rehab. So are all of our clinic visits considered rehab?
11: No. This, are we t- we're talking about page 117? Yeah. Yes sir. This org chart is for one division of the organization. It's the operations division. It's not the entire okay, organization. Okay, so
3: that, uh, but then it wasn't so I was just con-
0: I was trying to I, determine I, where. I don't, think, I don't think ambulatory included this as part of our packet. We, uh, if you'll recall, we requested that we had this as a, as a standing thing, so we always had reference to.
3: So there's another um, under this, uh, so there's, a, there's a comparable. So I guess your question is where does ambulatory work? Right, and I have actually, I have a copy of the, the, the system larger system. system. Yeah, so, so
11: ambulatory reports up through Dr. Jamal Yeah. Uh, okay, like so that's basically. You have the, you see the uh-huh. CMO.
3: So all the ambulatory services do not go through the, um, the CAO or CMO. Right, no, go so go it's just directly to the, the CMO.
10: Uh, okay. That's...
0: that's the, but, but then, yeah, is the CAO from the end the Correct. Right. And she approached you. She does she not. not the right. so, so, Ronna, may I ask if we can include another al- item? Let's include the system road chart in every package so we, we can always have reference back to that. Thank you so much. Um, for all, of us, for, all of us, for everyone, for clarity. So, um, Catherine, thank you for excellent report. I'm going to say the same thing I say. Any comments or suggestions to help us in the pursuit of the highest quality care in the ambulatory division at, at Alameda Health System?
1: We have a good team and we support Paula while she's gone.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I'm not going to close out this item uh, just yet. I'm just going to give a reminder because we will do it again and again. Remember in July, this committee approved 13 one, three, 13 TNM metrics. Now, the challenge of our current presentation format in in the SBU setting is that we see some of these metrics, but we don't necessarily see them holistically. So I want us to remind them because some of them span acute, some of them are ambulatory, some are behavioral health. And But I just want to put this on our to-do list uh, of reminding us. So we have one, two, three, four items uh, for uh, amongst the access pillar. The first was lead time or cycle time, however we title it, for primary care. And you guys know where I'm going. I'm going to talk about steep again. So, so the, the steep elements which that would approach would be timeliness, uh, efficiency, and patient-centeredness. We had cycle times for specialty care. That's our second one. That's the same thing. We had acute med to surge observed to expected length of stay. This is in the acute setting. That's also timely, efficiency, and effective. And then we had medium time from admit orders to inpatient bed for HGA only because we could only measure that. Those were our four access pillars. Again, those span ambulatory and acute. In our quality p- uh, uh, pillar metric, we had five. We chose a prime metric on target, and if we had to use steep, that would be effective and equitable. We chose QIP metrics on target, that would be effective and equitable. Those are both ambulatory. We chose acute all-cause 30-day uh, readmits, that would be inpatient, that would be effective. We chose hospital acquired infections, we chose hospital acquired harms and hospital acquired harms and index. Both of those are for the inpatient setting and those would directly relate to safety of steep. Last but not least, the last four were in the in-the-experience pillar, um, HCAPs uh, uh, for rate the hospital, HCAP, uh, rate care transitions, uh, CG caps, rate the provider inpatient behavioral health mean all these relate to patient centeredness um i'm going to continue to work with dr hussein this this regular dashboard in this format might be a, give us a global view rather than across the uh, across each of the sbus we'll continue to have that dialogue but just something to consider these are the 13 things that we all agreed upon okay. <laughs> so uh, with, uh any comments from the trustees from the trustees? All right, with that, we will close out item E, the SBU reports, and we'll move into item F, which are both the patient safety and regulatory affairs uh, reports. Uh, we'll start off with uh, Darshan Grover, on director of patient safety. Um, uh, Again, uh, uh, we're, we're still finding our journey with this. Dr. Jay and I have met, and we've, we, we we at this point agree that this should be a monthly standing uh, fixed item in there. Uh, uh, it, it's an exercise which is great for regulatory affairs. It's, it's an excellent exer, excellent exercise for patient safety, and it's an excellent exercise for this committee to to put our brain on these issues uh, uh, on a monthly basis. Uh, we can adapt as we move forward, um, but the reports are written, and once again. And They are nicely written. We recall that we will have discussions in closed session, which which, uh, uh, which, uh, need to be in closed session. I'll I'll keep it that way. Otherwise, I think these reports uh, deserve the light of uh, public view, uh, and they are very well written. So, uh, uh, Ms. Graywall, any comments for uh, uh, Darshan Greywall, our Director of Patient Safety? Any questions, trustees, on this part of the report?
8: I wanted to say that the time from event to close has gone down um, significantly, so that was good to see. Of course, the uh, reported events compared to last year are up, so that we've discussed already in our session. But it's good to see the time to close is getting much better. Thank you, Tim. Is Darshan here? um, She's here. I'll just mention that
4: um, things through the efforts of the patient safety team, um, we are completely revamping, um, effective hopefully October 15, the back end um, trending of data, so that we can further enhance the transparency about what are the problems affecting our patients, um, and uh, and and doing it in a way that's standard. Um, so we hope to be able to bring. Uh, that data here but also the quality safety committees and the MEC so you can begin to see trends in the systems issues. But um, as you know to get agreement across multiple stakeholders takes some time but I'm happy to say we've gotten there. And we're aligning that with the peer review redesign process which by the way we submitted a proposal to the American College of Healthcare Executives and of the 50 sessions of the hundreds of applicants, we got selected not only to present once, but twice mm-hmm. the peer review redesign process. So, uh, really a testament to the collaborative effort and minds of everyone here. So, I just want to draw some attention to that. Excellent. 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 Thank you, trustees. Any questions uh, further on uh, patient
0: safety? Uh, I have a question, and I'll. Uh, I want to make sure Dr. J hears this, so no, no problem, Dr. J, Darshan, uh, Tanvir. So uh, it's a tough question and uh, not hard, but a tough question. So two days ago at the Board of Supervisors, Board of Trustees meeting, there were many employees who spoke and asserted that there were safety issues related to understaffing. Uh, Supervisor Vallier even followed up on that question. So my question to our safety uh, committee is, is there a way that we can answer that All question, right. whether this is true or not? Uh, can, can you comment on that, uh, on that assertion? Because it's a big assertion, but if it's not justified by data, how do we, how do we, how do we measure that, that, that challenging assertion?
10: So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I attended that meeting, and I'm to let them deal with the discussion, just to address this. You know, as uh, you know, we measure our safety, not. Uh, almost every So we have metrics that we also bring up to the board. But I, like I think we need to just address this question specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. with yeah, the
4: specific regard right. to staffing. Exactly. Yeah. So um, so a couple of, so first, as I sort of referenced earlier, the challenge of the quality team mm-hmm. is we have to address very complex situations where there are potentially 50 different perspectives with equity. And one of the key principles of a high reliability organization is that we do, we show reluctance to simplify the complex because it's too easy to scapegoat. It is absolutely essential that we consider all the systems factors. So I I just want to say, so what does that mean? Um, So first, um, a couple so one of the things we do is that every day, we we have a patient safety team that reviews every single safety alert that comes in through the system. Over the last, we looked at our data on a monthly basis. On average, there are 600 safety alerts that come in across the system every month. So we are careful to ensure two things. One, that we don't ever create a culture of silence or we see the numbers drop. So the good news is the safety reporting remains stable. Second, we look at What percentage of the reported safety alerts are E or greater? E, meaning harm has reached the patient, even if temporary. On average, month to month, that wavers between five to 6%, and in fact, it's decreased if we look a year back. So we're looking for, can we quantify harm? Because there might be lots of changes that are occurring but our goal on the quality team is to be a constant conscience and surveillance for the organization so we can raise flags if we see rises in quality and safety issues. Third, we look at Sentinel events. So when we look and you see every single Sentinel event because we have RCAs. You see every single reportable event because we put them in in our executive summary and we see no rise in those things. Additionally, as we've monitored in our True North metrics, we we'll look at the patient safety index, the harms, the 13 elements that contribute to that. And we turn that monthly, and as you will see in the Trinity North metric dashboard, that's actually also reduced. In addition, we look at the nationally reported healthcare associated infections, CAUDI, CLABSI, C. diff, MRSA bacteremia. And in fact, over the last four years, we looked at the data. In the last quarter, we have reached for the first time C. diff rates that exceed the state benchmark. And if you will look at the True North Metric Dashboard, we see that HIIs are going to the green. Mm-hmm. We look at 57 metrics at prime, which last year, we did all but two and we do the patient experience where we see an uptrend at Highland Hospital. We do this active surveillance on a daily monthly basis and we want to make it transparent and that's why we share it with you very visibly. In addition, I,
0: I apologize, yes. given the time, and, uh, but I'll bring this back to, to the question. Are we poised to answer the specific question as to whether understaffing uh, uh, in of itself as an independent risk factor yeah. is associated with safety events? Because I have a feeling that this discussion will continue. Yeah. <laughs> so I can tell
4: you that as, as a we look at whether or not at the suggestion of our leaders, uh, Frontline staff, whether or not sitters, the absence or presence of sitters contribute to falls. We know that that data doesn't show that. Okay. Here, here, Here is the fundamental principle. It's not the number, it's the quality of the work. Okay. So we watch the quality of the work. Because I can have 10 people who are not doing high quality work, or I can have four people who do excellent work, and we monitor the quality of work and the
11: outcomes that our patients. Okay. I just I'm really able to just uh, you know be careful about uh, uh, words that we adopt too. So even in the concept of like understaffing, right. I, I I think you know if, if there are comparatively fewer staff, that the question of whether or not that is understaffed or appropriately staffed is a fair question. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, so. I don't I don't think that mm-hmm. it just inherent in there being less staff in an area because perhaps there's a right sizing that occurs, right. or the more should suggest that there's over or understaffing. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, and it's one of the context. Context questions to answer. And one of the things that the surveyors
4: look for, because of Title 22 regulation, is our staffing ratio. Yeah. We have, and you've seen that month after month, we've never been cited for that. kind. Okay. Cool. Uh, Dashaun, a, a, a quick comment?
8: Yes, that's exactly right. Okay. I I also I share. You know, you see see in the yeah. multitude of um, sentinel events that we have uh, conducted RCA's, we have not seen any evidence to support a lack of staffing or understaffing. Uh,
3: that has contributed to any of these uh, events. Okay, so. Thank you. Can I just ask, it, it, are you looking downstream as well to staffing in um, e- EBS or staffing in um, supply, the supply management and things like that? Um, or is this just clinical staffing primarily?
4: No. Well, C. diff is an ex- excellent example of that one of the key elements of uh, cedar production is that eds is doing immaculate jobs of cleaning rooms there's no way we could have have a quarter of the lowest cedar rates if there wasn't appropriate quality of work in that area I, i can give you these are just examples that illustrate the impact and i can only cite examples of outcomes in our patients. Well, exactly. And, and my only my,
3: my comment was based on what came up and, and what you, the board has heard in, in particular with regard to that there may be there may be sufficient um, clinical staff in, in um, keeping with Jaco standards, in keeping with the number of patients, but if there's not um if there's not a OT or P T or someone to restock the,
0: the carts then that staff may not be doing what they're they're to do. With that and in consideration of time, I'm going to move, uh, if if that's okay, we are going to have a monthly position to talk about these issues. Uh, With that, we are going to uh, move on uh, to regulatory affairs. Mr. Smith, will you please come stand right there in front of us? Um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll keep this brief, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's again a, a well written uh, regulatory affairs report. Uh, we're, we're approaching time check, but uh, not that, that we should uphold ourselves to any question, I mean uh, withdraw, withhold any questions. Trustees, do you have any questions about this regulatory affairs report? Trustee okay. Banerjee, do you have anything to say,
5: uh, even if it's outside the regulatory affairs report?
8: Well, um, I just heard that you are going to be leaving in Adrian, and I'm just kind of still processing that.
0: So you will be very...
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I told you you'd be embarrassed. Well, this is Adrian, Adrian's last meeting uh, for, in front of the QPSC. And uh, I, 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 I myself would like to salute him. Uh, salute him. I, I worked with Adrian for years. We worked really hard on putting the Highland Care Pavilion together, didn't we? Uh, we did. and that, that was a that was a lot of work. So uh, Adrian has 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 been a loyal servant to, to Alameda Health System, and uh, I just wanted uh, this committee to appreciate his 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 work uh, for us and uh, leave it up here. With us. Uh, here's your chance to embarrass him right now. Last last. Day. Thank you.
11: It's not one minute. I would just like to say that I've been with the organisation for over 11 years. It's been a wonderful journey. I was I'm moving on to a different role in a different organisation, but um, it's been my honour to move from the bedside into a, a position in administration and to work with a board who are so engaged and ask such difficult questions because they care about the organisation and the patients has been an honour. So I would like to thank you um, for embarrassing me, but I would also like to take this opportunity to say I, I see us as teams on so many levels and the team that I stand in front of today have been um, they have challenged me and they have asked me difficult questions and I have enjoyed that. So thank you. We wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you for your
2: service.
0: With that, we will uh, close out item F, we'll move to item G, planning and calendar. Uh, You see that we have a fixed calendar that Dr. J and I will publish every month and review with you. So with that, we'll close out item G and we'll move to item H, general counsel report.
5: Yes. So the uh, committee did meet in closed session and they did approve the uh, prevention report from each of the three benefits to ask for those individuals who would satisfy all the prevention requirements. And the committee took no other action in the closed session.
2: Thank you. Uh, with that, we'll close out item H, and that closes the meeting. Thank you, everyone, for attendance. We'll see you next month. Okay.